0: This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com kendo ui
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on Vue. View. My name is Chris Fritz, and today on our panel, we have Eric Henschett, author of UJS in Action. Hi, Chris. We also have Joe Eames, organizer of Framework Summit. Hey, everybody. And today, our guest is Torsten Lundberg. Uh, Hello. My friend and fellow contributor. Actually, I, I, I don't know. We've never actually talked before in person, but I consider you sort of like a friend in a way. We've never hung out or anything, but we are Definitely. friendly and work together. Yeah. So this is the first time today, uh, earlier today, actually, that I'm, I'm hearing Torsten's voice, even though we've worked together for years.
2: And yeah, you're on the View core
1: team, change. and you've been on the core team
2: for a while. Yeah, it must be, well, we just talked about it a couple hours ago, right? Uh, the core team was founded around beginning of 2016, and I think I joined a couple months later in summer. So I it think it
1: was in May or June?
2: Yeah. yeah. early summer,
1: I guess. Yeah. So very early on in the core team's existence. I think. I think
3: the the one o release was just a couple months old
1: back then.
0: Okay.
3: How did Evan get you guys together for the core team at the beginning? Would you like to take that one?
2: Um, well, I, I can speak about the real beginning because I joined a couple months later. But um, for me personally, and I think he pretty much did this with all with all the guys that are in the team. He just. Observed for a while that they were contributing in one way or another to the project uh, reliably, and then he just invited them to to the, to the core team Slack channel. Very informally, we don't have any process for application, or you don't sign up to do any sort of regular duty, or you're not forced to take over at least one repository full time or whatever. It's really it's just a place to come together to 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 exchange ideas to ex- to to help each other out when triaging issues and to like spread the work a little bit.
4: Yeah.
1: Basically to make it easier to communicate with each other and work together on different stuff in the ecosystem.
2: Very loose organization. I would say.
1: Yeah. And also like, you know, giving people permission to, uh, you know, commit to certain repositories and sometimes publish packages, things like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, the way it started is, I think it's probably like an email or something that Evan sent me saying, like, hey, would you be interested? And a few other people, too. And then now we're at something like,
3: you know, 30 people total. Hmm. Have you guys all met in person? I guess you haven't, other than went over online. Some of us have,
1: but not all of us. Not everyone in the core team has met each other in person.
2: Oh, no, 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 not everyone. We're, we're spread out across the world. We have a couple people from China because you is very popular in China. We have uh, at least two people from Japan, one from India. Um, so yeah, last it's really time, tricky to get them all together in the same place or even in the same video call.
1: Yeah. Last time I counted, I think we're from 12 different countries and nine different living in nine different
4: time zones. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, I think something that might be interesting is to kind of give a little bit of exposure to the listeners as to the view the core team, and really what it means, like, does everybody on the core team spend 100% of their time? Who's Is anybody getting paid? Like, how does that... I think the paradigm of, like, React, for example, they're all employed by Facebook, and then they have some contributors who might spend some of their spare time as well, but View is very different. So I think it might be interesting to talk a little bit more about what the core team is like, the variation and the people. I mean, obviously it's spread geographically a ton, but how does that work as far as responsibilities and contribution levels and things like that? What does it mean to be? And what does it mean to be a core contributor or part of the core team? Go ahead, Torsten. Um, um, uh,
2: well, I they say that there's no, there, as I was already explaining, the, the, the whole um, setup of the team is very loosely organized, so you're not really forced to do to 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 put in a, a set amount of time every week, so everybody just contributes the time that they can spare. Um, there's so far nobody really um, getting paid full time or something, except Evan, which is uh, who is financed through his Patreon campaign. Um, Evan just announced today on the View Contributors Day uh, video call that we will be having full time support from China. But I don't know who he is. Um But from there on down, uh, in the sen- down in the sense of how much work or how much time you invest, uh, or how big the packages of work are that you put into it, um, it's really spread all over the place. Like you, you have some people who completely took over a repository in a sense. Like um, the whole uh, UX uh, state management library outside of Core is pretty much maintained by. Kutson KTSN, uh, who is um, uh, from Japan, if I'm not mistaken, Chris. Yeah, I believe so. Um, we have other people who pretty much joined the core team because they um, created uh, an important library in the Vue ecosystem on their own um, that was important enough to bring it into the uh, into the um, into the Vue organization. Um, and they also maintain that um, completely, more or less uh, on their own. Like uh, examples would be the roll-up roll, roll up plugin for Vue, which is um, uh, maintained by Zink. All these all, all these names are pretty yeah. To pronounce I real name I just realized it now because I only read them online, and now I have yeah. to pronounce them and I realize it doesn't make any sense. Um, and. Uh, JestView, view the the view compiler for Jest is maintained by Eddie Yebra um, and things like that. So you have on the one side you have these guys, then you have people who mainly um, help out in certain repositories by triaging issues, by submitting small patches or pull requests. Uh, Posva is uh, one of the guys who is uh, pretty active in the View Router repository, for example. Um, uh, then you have uh, people who are not really programming that much, but who are much more concerned about the quality of our docs, uh, which uh, is Chris mainly and Sarah. Um, so uh, these uh, these these kinds of uh, responsibilities are also pretty important to us because we from the, I, I think from the start our, our documentation was always considered to be pretty much exceptional, and it's uh, one of our main goals to always. Keep, uh, keep, uh, keep the quality of the, of the documentation at least at that level or, or at best improve it, uh, continuously. Um, so we invest a lot of time in, in that, in that part. And from there on out, it's, it's, it's thinning out, uh, until you sometime somewhere down there, you get to me, <laughs> uh, where, um, I would say I'm not even, if you go to GitHub and check out how many lines of code I contributed to any of the core, libraries i think you won't find that many um if on the other hand you check out how many issues uh i was active in closing commenting blah blah, blah whatever um i think i'm number two after evan so uh, my main focus currently is to do, uh, a supporting role in the sense that i i pre-qualify issues i i i, I have problems i try to f- to identify bugs that can be fixed um, and mainly I do much of community work in mainly in our forums because we have our own uh, forum running where we uh, provide support um, I have built a small team of moderators uh, that are uh, doing great work and some people are absent for a month or two because work or projects are getting in the way and then are coming back so it's really all over the place in a sense. And so um, I think we're realizing that for us to grow further, we need a little bit more structure in in one place or another. I think that's one of the reasons why Evan is uh, bringing uh, another full-time support uh, member from from China into this. Um, But on the other side, uh, I think we want to also keep this type of organization going because it's... um, it's working pretty well for us in a sense that nobody on our side, as far as I can tell, is in any danger of burning out or uh, suffering from uh, stress because he can't bear all the numbers of issues and, uh, and all the all the um, pressure that is put on, on them because there isn't really that much pressure. We, we support each other where we can. We give each other room where we can. And I think that's working pretty well for us so far.
1: Yeah, I think we do a good job of asking for help when we need it because everybody yeah. needs it
3: sometimes. Has there ever been a, a time where like, a corporate entity, like a business that uses Vue and their products, have uh, contacted the core contributor team directly to ask for a fix or help or a question or support? Anything like that?
4: Um,
2: that's a good question. I think... Um, I... I Personally, don't know of any stories about bugs or or anything, but um, a couple of core team members regularly do 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 in-house workshops. I think Sarah, for example, does this. Evan does it. Um, I do too. Yeah, you do. Um, so it's mainly work in that direction. Um, uh, and I think, of course, uh, we have a couple of people like Chris um, who do consulting training and consulting work. And part of consulting can also be to be called in for for a couple of weeks and get a project back on track, right? So, um, but I'm not I'm not aware of any story where like a big company called oh we have fire burning here we need this one bug fixed and I'm not aware that that ever happened. Uh,
1: there's usually not like I, I can't think of a situation where there's been like a bug in one that's bug been so serious <laughs> that it's like caused anyone a serious problem. Yeah, I guess that um, points or, out. Or or if it was like then more people would be experiencing it and we'd fix it immediately anyway.
2: Yeah, I think what, what also is a part of the question, or or in the subtext at least, um, we're pretty much of our work is, is sponsored by bigger companies who have dedicated time or invested in you for because they're using it, and um, so I think uh, what some people always have on their mind are are those people actively involving themselves and saying, "I'm I'm giving you money. I'm expecting that you put in feature X or Y um, because we need it." And, uh, that doesn't happen, at least not, uh, in a way that, uh, that I would have, would have noticed it. So, um, actually, this is pretty, this whole open collective and Patreon system, as far as I have, have, have come to, to in contact with it. It's working pretty, pretty great in the sense of just supporting a project without putting in any demand. So it's not really, I don't think that most of the companies that put money into a project through Patreon or through Open Collective, uh, have a mindset of expectations of direct returns on their investment. It's really more like, um, like, uh,
3: like keep uh, doing what you're doing. Right, right. You just remind me of the whole mess that the Node.js community went through a few years ago when they had this different type of corporate governance underneath them. Luckily. Projects like well, you don't have that. You don't have to worry about that problem because it's just kind of a loose knit amount of contributors that drive forward the, the project. Yeah. It's really just hugely distributed funding.
4: Uh,
1: yeah. So we, we get from, uh, you know, instead of getting it from one company, we get money from a bunch of different companies, you know, through a bunch of different channels. And so I, I feel like we have a little bit of security there. It's kind of like if you have 10,000 bosses, And they all need to like unanimously vote to fire you, (laughs) you know? So if you, if you make someone like not happy with your work, you can still do your work. I mean, we, we, I mean, we have like guiding principles that we follow in the work that we do. And we have philosophical discussions sometimes about, you know, certain kinds of features and.
3: Gotcha. And there's no official, I mean, Evan doesn't, he didn't, Create the ViewConf US conference. I mean, there's no official company behind that. That is run by the View organization. Or, well, no,
2: I, I don't think that we are a legal entity in any way. Are yeah. we, Chris? Have, do we have any? No, right? Uh, um, View or Evan
1: has like a View LLC, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, that, like, Evan did, uh, and I, I also helped plan ViewConf US with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pratik Patel, who it was sort of the, the main organizer. Mm. You know, and he has more event planning experience and things like that. So, you know, we handled sort of the, the view community side and he handled the the just general event organizing side. Got it. But yeah I, I have like my own legal entity that I work under, Christy Fritz LLC. <laughs> Very legitimate. <laughs> uh, you know so I Like a lot of us who who do consulting, like have our own, like, legal identities, but there's no overarching corporate structure that ties us together.
4: I assume that LLC is more like a holding company with uh, assets in all over the world that you uh, manage and maintain as a large.
1: Mostly just the Caymans, (laughs) just the Caymans. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a few
2: Swiss bank accounts, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Swiss too. I mean, just to spread it out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah
2: no so but uh, for for a lot of people that that's a big problem right because we don't have a big company uh we don't have a facebook we don't have a google and um it's really one of the number one questions that we get over and over and over and i just recently i just i think uh, yesterday i i i, I think I, I replied to a tweet again and it just really hit me um that where 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 someone was asking that uh, um uh while React uh, has Facebook and Angular has Google, Vue doesn't have corporate backing. So how do we handle that? And I really came to realize that if you look at the, the, the broader ecosystem and also the, the, the history of the previous frameworks and, and that, that brought us to, to the state that we are today, um, React and Angular are really the exception, right? Because while there is a foundation that right now that is like um, supporting jQuery, it didn't start up. There was no big company going around inventing jQuery. There was no Lodash still is mainly uh, John's project, right? Um, you have knockout, backbone, all of these libraries that were hugely important or are hugely important in the ecosystem. And they don't have a big backing. They all grew through community and then found a larger backing from multiple sources to support the libraries that are now so important to the ecosystem. Well
4: you can take that all the way back to the beginning Linux, right? There was no company that decided we're going to do Linux and we're going to support it, right? Linux started as right. a bunch of developers getting together so you're absolutely right these corporate backed started open source projects are the exception and uh, having seen a lot of uh, both sides of the coin uh, Many times, I feel like it's making a decision based on the lack of corporate backing is probably not a smart uh, criteria for deciding if a project is viable or not because it's proved it's there. Most projects are extremely viable that exist don't have corporate backing and they are extremely viable.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and and don't get me wrong; I don't I don't think it's negative
4: what what Facebook or Inc was
2: doing. Much to the contrary, it's great that bigger companies are embracing open source in that way but it's, I don't think it's a necessary a major advantage because um, many other examples have just grown organically without that
3: what were you saying Eric um, I was saying another example to your point Joe was uh, uh, JS. you know it came that, that same sort of mentality didn't have any corporate governance you could say right. some of the core contributors are in LinkedIn but it came out of Yehuda Katz Tom Dale and those people and uh, that's kind of that's worked pretty well for them.
4: You know, in my opinion, the only real drawback to it is the fact that uh, you know, the lead people that are spending all their time, they're probably in many cases living on relatively small incomes compared to what they could make in the corporate world. It would be nice if you know, those people could be at least paid the nice salaries that the bigger uh, organizations make. That would be in my opinion, the only drawback is the sacrifice that those, you know, people have to make have to make. I know that uh, like Tom Katz and or Tom Dale and Yehuda Katz, they had to survive on what they're making in other places in order to get ever going Evan, he's at the whims of who wants to donate on Patreon right now. But that besides that, there isn't, you know, these projects they move. And it's amazing to me, right, to look at how many people Facebook employees to work on React, how many people Angular, Google employees to work on Angular. And uh, on top of that, all the community contribution, and yet Vue moves just as fast as those uh, other frameworks do that have corporations that are paying the salaries of 20 to 40 or 50 de- developers on top of who wants to contribute just out of their free time. And I, I think there
1: are advantages to having this kind of looser structure, too, because when, when you're paid like full time to work on something, to work on like a very specific and narrow problem, then you have to like constantly rewrite it <laughs> and, you know, like invent ways to like over-engineer it because uh, otherwise, like how else do you justify your job? Like your job is to like build and maintain this thing. And so you have to keep writing code. You have to keep doing things with it. Whereas when something is good, we can we can just kind of stop and move on to the next thing because our job isn't as like as well-defined. We can sort of follow our passions
4: and interests a little bit more. Although that's a definitely a true statement, uh, can you imagine looking at the amount of stuff that, I, and I have no idea, I'm just imagining what you look at as, all right, here's what we want to do to view. Do you ever see an end in sight? To like when it'll just be done? Yeah. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, like what software project really ever is like that? But within, no, a,
1: no. within a discrete domain, like I could see like the router being considered done. Right. Of right. course, we'll rewrite it maybe in one or two years, but, but, but using like
4: newer features, yeah. But yeah, it's right, not something we have to constantly work on. Yeah, um, yeah you'll consider it done and put a bow on it, and somebody else will say, "No, I want a different
3: set of features." They're going to go out and write their own, and yeah, that, that's that, that's that's the great right thing about it. Let me ask you this um, how does that work for new features so let's say I'm a developer and I see this really cool angular feature and I want to bring it to view but I'm I don't have the time to implement it can I put a just an issue up in github do you guys have some voting structure or who decides for a new feature to get in or not
2: um, right now we don't have a real structure for it but that but that is um, about to change in a couple, next couple of weeks or months we're we're planning and, and just laying out how this is supposed to work and a real RFC structure for bigger things and most importantly for, for things that break, that, that would result in a major version, a real uh, RFC um, um, process. But right now it's mainly um, a GitHub issue that we open or that someone else opens. And uh, mo- most of the time it quickly goes into a discussion about um, what's the advantage of this, What, um, how much technical debt would this bring into the library, not only to write it once, but to maintain it. Um, Office surface, all, all of those discussions, they are mainly happening on GitHub, openly. Um, and either the original um, issuer is working on it, or someone else decides to pick it up, and we also we often receive um, pull requests for minor features just out of the blue in a way where people like either they don't even open an issue or they open the issue and the pull request at the same time uh, where you quickly get into this the, the discussion is this worth merging um, for view core itself, I think we're right now we're at a uh, at a point where we Became really, um, defensive about adding in new stuff because, um, we already have an API surface that is bigger than what we intended it to be when we designed 2.0. We keep kept adding stuff that is useful, that has its value. But overall, we, we just realized that the API that we have now is complex enough, uh, That any new feature that necessarily comes with some kind of switch option or whatever um, uh, has to have a real, really heavy advantage over the whole ecosystem, and that is rarely the case right now.
1: Yeah, if there's not an advantage to having it in the core library, it should be in userland.
2: Yeah, a big advantage right
1: now, really, because or or in userland or in other like a separate official library.
2: Yeah, we just feel that core has reached that the core uh, repository has reached a complexity and a size in considering internals as well as uh, the api surface for the end user that we say this 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 is big enough for the moment we also don't see any big features that we need right now so if there are improvements they have to be cheap in a way to 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 make it into core right now
1: yeah and, and the the short version is uh we you know Completely argue about it for a while. And then Evan makes the final decision. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's good for book writers like me because things aren't changing super, super fast. Uh, my book is not outdated in, in two months, maybe, maybe six or a year, but I, I, think, it's, I think that's good.
1: And, and there are really like no major pain points that we hear from people that, you know, still need to be addressed.
4: What about, uh, I know that Vue is well regarded as for the documentation. Um, is that something that is uh, facing any additional new changes coming up or uh, enhancements? Where where does that fit within the purview of the core team?
1: So uh, yes, we're actually improving it all the time. I, I've been on video calls all all day today, but yesterday, <laughs> you know, I was merging new stuff into into the Vue docs. And making new changes, and that that happens like almost every day. That that we make yeah. some improvements to the documentation, and there are some big improvements that I'd like to make too. That will take a little bit more time. If people would like to help me find more time uh, for those those bigger projects, then you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com/slash/chrisviewfritz. But uh, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, like I I do what we can, and I or we all do what we can, and. We're improving them all the time, and it's already pretty good. There's no, there's no pain points. There are, you know, A lot of this stuff that I want to add is is sprinkles, so things that would improve the experience but not really solve anything that's really painful right now that keeps people from learning.
4: There's always ways to make things better, even when something is great. Uh, I think it's interesting to ask a question of what, as a percentage, what does, do, what does documentation take up uh, as a percentage of development time?
1: I, th- I think that's a difficult question to answer because the shoot people, from the hip, Chris. <laughs> well, so I'm not doing all of the development, so I can't count other people's hours and we don't right. track them or anything. Right. I, I can only think about my own hours. And for a guide, for, for me personally, it often takes longer than you'd think is the short answer. <laughs> because really like I'll, I'll write an initial version and then I'll decide this is terrible. And then I'll throw it out and then, re, you know, rewrite it reorganized and then throw it out and then rewrite it reorganized. And then it'll go through like 20 more iterations of like feedback. And then it's finally done. And then I'll, I'll also do like user testing or something like that, you know, to see like if these concepts are making sense in the way that I'm uh, explaining them to like newcomers and more advanced people. And so yeah, all of that can take a lot of time, but... You know, when you think about the number of people who are going to be reading that document, I think it's worth that time.
4: So that's really interesting for you and Torsten. Torsten, do you feel like you get the opportunity to just polish more because this is just an open source contribution than you would if this was, you know, a boss paying you to get some code and get it done, get it done now. We need this. Make it just good enough and off we go.
2: In in a sense, yes, because um, the I think in, in in the broader sense, one one of the one of the um, one of the topics that I like to always like to talk about is um, what what motivates people, and uh, there's really interesting studies about how financial like motivation uh, kills all other intrinsic motivation. As soon as you pay somebody to do something. Um, even if they had intrinsic motivation before it's gone and uh, because of the money that is that is now the the, the, int- the the main motivator and with that money with that job description comes a very discrete um, form or, or set of goals that you have to achieve usually if you want to make it worse, you have a bonus for a very specific goal that has to be uh, achieved to get even more money. So everything that is not working towards that one goal, is, also, is, is, all, is people forget about it, right? So um, generally, what these studies tell you is that um, the best work uh, is done by people when they do it intrinsically, in a way, and not for money. So I guess naturally that open source projects that are just maintained by people who do it in their free time because they sit down in that moment to do it because they want to do it, um, um, end up much more polished, except when of course uh, people um, don't have enough time to do this work, in a, in, in some kind of situation in their, in their lives, um, and similarly, I no- I noticed that my my learning uh, improved. Many when I started um, solving all the people's problems on the forum in my free time, um, then when I sat down to, to learn something for myself, um, or when I, when I had a problem myself that I looked up on Stack Overflow. Like when you, when you, when you have a specific problem at work and you have maybe a deadline or something, then you go online, you Google, you get to Stick Overflow. And even if you don't copy paste, but try to understand what you're doing and try to improve the code that you like take from this, you only go uh, so far as to solve your immediate problem. And then you stop thinking about the thing that you just read about. Right. But um, at least that's, that's my experience. Um, And, and when I'm on the forum and when I'm, when I'm, having a problem of someone else that I just take my free time to solve, that I take my time to, to really get into, um, there is really no immediate end to how deep I can go because I always can consider, okay, I can tell them this and then I'm 90% sure they will ask why, is there another way this seems complicated, why is does that make sense, and so on and so on. So I have to, I have to dig a little bit deeper to actually not look like an idiot when they Ask that, these questions back at me. So naturally, I, I I realized for myself that I end up going much deeper into a topic when that topic is actually uh, someone else's problem and not my own.
0: Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do co slash on view. Yeah, I've, I found the same thing for,
1: for docs, you know, in docs and, and just education in general. Like you really have to anticipate you know, like the, the follow-up questions that people are going to ask and, and understand quite deeply what is going on so yeah. you can anticipate those and answer those.
2: Yeah, Even just trying to put into words what you think you understood makes you realize, I, didn't, I only understood half of it, right? Yeah. So you have to get back and dig deeper to, to get the level of understanding that it takes to actually write it down.
1: And it also gives you an excuse to like, ask other really smart people, like, oh, like, yeah, right, like right. what's going on? How does this make sense? And like, they have to answer you because you're helping them <laughs> by answering questions for them. And, and it really does work out because you, know, you help out so many people that if someone answers a question for you, it's, it's like they've, they've amplified that. They've already answered a question for... Like a thousand other people, at least.
2: Yeah. And yeah, right. Uh, we're on the on the topic, right? Right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: My contributions. <laughs> it, going back to what you were talking about with you know intrinsic motivation, yeah. uh, something else. I think if people were getting paid and being assigned tasks, like I'm not sure if the uh, like the Vue CLI UI, if that would have ever been made, you know, by Guillaume, for example. You know, because that's something that seems like, oh, you know, he probably thought to himself one day, ah, th- 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 I think that would be pretty cool. Like, I wonder if it would be possible. And I mean, then he, I think he investigated it and he made yeah, it I mean, But no one was also, asking for it because uh, this is redefining people's expectations from their tools.
2: Yeah, it was just really, we could all witness it because he was always posting screenshots uh, uh, of, of the intermediate stages. Uh, on Slack, and you really could see that he was just try, uh, messing around, trying trying to see if he can actually do this, and if he can yeah. actually also implement that. And I, I think he learned a bunch of stuff about how to uh, um, work with the CLI from within Node, and uh, call all these processes and process the results that come back to it that he didn't really have before. Um, um, and I don't think that this would have been a task that would have been assigned to someone if, if it was a job. No, I, I very
1: much doubt it. But I'm so glad that he, he ended up doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you—I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit, but you didn't come from a computer science background. Uh, no, I didn't. And in fact, your day job isn't even as a programmer. No. no. So um, what, do you, what do you do in your day job?
2: Um... I'm right now, I'm an IT projects manager slash product owner, um, but not in an IT shop in the sense, but in an IT department, in a, in an energy, energy provider company here in uh, Mannheim. And I only recently switched to that job. Um, before that, I was, uh, I was a product manager, not an IT product manager, but an actual energy services products manager. Um, my background is business engineering. Um, but I have been, interested in programming pretty much ever since uh we had a computer in a household um or pretty much ever since i got we got our first uh, 28 baud mod- modem um mm-hmm. i i have a pretty good picture of the first html page that i put together with with a friend which was like uh the most cliche website with a glowing red skull and some animated Shit flying in the background, Geo City's style website, but I was amazingly proud of it. Um, but I, looking back, I can't really tell you why I didn't get into computer science. Um, I think from, 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 from where I'm now as a grown-up, or hopefully partly grown-up human being, um, I think I didn't want to be a nerd, even, even though I was. <laughs> so you are in denial. <laughs> really, really, I think I was. I think I was. So, so I picked uh, something technical with a business background. It was business engineering, and yeah. So today I ended up in like in a project owner role, which I also find very interesting because um, I'm also very much in, into all of the conceptual stuff that goes into designing a product. I, I enjoy this just as much as the actual writing or, or Implementing the feature itself, um, but how? So, so, how did I get into all of this? It's basically it was it was a coincidence There's coincidence that I ended up with Vue in a way, and in the other way, it's uh, uh, it's, it's um, because of the docs, <laughs> really. Because um, at the time, I was, or it was like. Probably half a year before I joined the core team or a year before I joined the core team where I was found my interest again in really trying to get into programming again in my free time because I just had this itch to, to really do something more than do a tutorial every, every month or something. Like do something creative. Right. Um, build something because part of my job was and still is, uh, the problem that you, you write much. You have many meetings. You talk much. You define much, but you don't. And and it's hard work. But you often feel like you didn't do anything.
1: Yeah, you don't it, have like an end product that you can point right, to at the end right. of the day. Like, oh, this is right. the new feature. Right. Like, I did this. Right.
2: This search this, page didn't exist right. before. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that's the really stressed me out. Still stressing me out from time to time. But, um, and I was just realizing that all the SPA was the new designing an SPA. The front end was the new hot A couple of years before that, I was um, dabbing around in Rails. And coincidentally, back in da- those days, I was also um, pretty active on the Rails forums that existed. Those were not official forums, but I also was answering all of people's questions without being from everybody. So this repeats itself, but um, I was... Ma- practically shopping around for a framework to learn and uh, at the time angular 1.3 i guess was the the dominating framework and i was trying to do the tutorial on their website and i gave up after a couple hours because nothing made sense to me i uh, the next thing was really react um the angle problem was the terminology with all the, the directives and, and, and the scope and transclusion. Some transclusion and all these uh, imaginary words to me. Um and then uh, the next was React where where I actually realized pretty quickly that I think I know how it works, but it seemed too complicated to 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 set up, right? And the, the JSX initially put me off, not necessarily because I think it was a bad idea, but because it was so alien, it looked like HTML, but it was in the code. And I couldn't, at the time, I didn't understand exactly what Babel was really doing. I just knew that I somehow needed it to get this to work. So it put me off, right? So I, I thought, okay, this looks, this makes sense. It's a very simple, flexible concept, but I don't think I find a good way to get into it as a beginner. hmm without investing huge amount of time or doing a course or whatever, or just how to dabble a bit in it, right? Um, and then I s- stumbled across Vue, and it was really this experience of just reading this, this guide from top to bottom in a weekend or so and doing the examples, dabbing a bit in Jays Fiddle. And I thought I understood how it works. This was really this, this experience. This was version 1.0 out for a month or two or still in pre-release or something and it just made sense and so my decision was okay i'll see what i can do with this and i was playing around a bit but uh, my problem with side projects is always that i'm not really um they either either they're too simple to really follow through with them because uh i lose interest, because they're not really having any purpose or I have an awesome idea, but I would have to found a startup for it because I, don't, I can't pull it off on my own in the next two or three months. So I don't see any end result again. Um, and so while I was doing a couple small projects on the side, which were really just experiments, I found I was pretty much looking for a way to put this to use, right? And this way to put it to use ended up being the forums so i just found the the youtube forums sorry the youtube the the view forums um and started answering questions mainly picking questions where i thought i think i can find out what the answer is right um answers where i think i read something about it but i couldn't explain it so I, i put it as a task for myself to find out what it is in a way that i can explain to the people asking and what this, what this did to me was pretty amazing because um, it triggered a kind of chain reaction. Because somebody asks something about view reactivity, and then you get into the docs and you try to really understand it. And they're talking about getters and setters, and from there you get to MDN to understand what a getter and a setter is. Because they didn't have <laughs> yeah. the time, um, and then you have a quick look at the source code, don't understand anything, but but you find those two pieces where they are like setting those that the watcher and whatever, and all of a sudden, you're pretty neck deep into learning JavaScript in a whole new way. Um, and that, that enabled me to pretty much learn JavaScript in general and view to a level where I'm now feeling comfortable to, to write whole, a whole application. Um, even though two years ago, two and a half years ago, my JavaScript was at the level of oh, I can put jQuery in there, uh, and I know how to register an event listener, and I know how to change inner HTML, and that's awesome, right? Um, and now you're one of the I think I think it's safe to say
1: you're one of the leading experts on Vue in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. It's pretty
2: pretty weird. Um, uh yeah, that, that's pretty much uh, the way that this, this, this all worked out. It's um, all basically due to the fact that I didn't decide to become a computer science major back in the day. And so I never got into the, an actual job in this area. And now I'm in a weird place where I have a job that I like, with colleagues that I like, and with a salary that's great. So I'm in a very comfortable position. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still have this itch to to really, that's that's growing bigger and bigger. Now that I realize that I can I could do this, right? I could do this job. Yeah, but
1: so I mean, in I mean, a sense, stuff. you are doing it. Like you are, yeah, yeah. a programmer. I mean, you, you, you are you are helping spare people. time that I that I can afford, right? Yeah. Besides my actual job, I am and a programmer, right? But, and by helping so many people, you've kind <laughs> of like like borrowed experience from them by like. Helping them solve problems that even if you are working as a programmer in that time, you'd probably be working on like one app at a time. And so you wouldn't be exposed to all of these different kinds of problems. You mean like indirectly have already written like a dozen apps, right? Yeah, I'd say hundreds, yeah. (laughs) Sort of by extension, yeah, because you are helping them solve the
2: most difficult problems in those apps. Yeah, Yeah, and it's it's a weird situation right now because I'm really... um, if it was in the U.S., I think it would be a little bit different because the market for developers is a little bit different here. there. Um, salaries in Germany are not bad, but I have a good one. And the good developer salaries in Germany are pretty much tied to enterprise consulting, which is not the kind of work I want to get into, which is uh, work where you end up working with some Microsoft stuff or some SAP stuff or those are the kinds of systems that I'm seeing in my day job today, which I don't want to touch if I would ever decide to make the switch to becoming a programmer. Um, So the itch itch to, to make a switch is getting stronger, but I don't see the opportunity right now. The a good opportunity,
1: right? Yeah. So something that's coming to mind is at VueConf EU, the first VueConf, yeah. I was talking to you about, you know, coming to the conference and letting people know, letting you know that like a lot of people are asking like, oh, is, is Linus going to be there? Because you know, they were really looking forward to finally meeting the person who had helped them out so much. And I, I think I remember your response to that being sort of, Oh, I, I don't know if I actually have anything to add. You know, so it seemed like there was some imposter syndrome going on there. You know, you clearly
2: had a lot of expertise. Uh, definitely. were reticent I, to recognize it. You just just think about this. I mean, there are people working for Facebook have an imposter syndrome, and here I am working for nobody as a programmer. And I, of course, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome in some situation. Um, no, I, I think it makes sense. But... but...
1: Yeah. How did you get over it? Like, you seem more confident now. Like, you're willing to accept that
2: you know a lot of things. <laughs> which yeah, wasn't think, the case before. Well, I think the whole conference experience was was really part of it. Because this, this was the first time where it got real, in a way. Where it not... I think... Was that at VJS just, Amsterdam? Yeah. Because it was just... Um, It just got real because I came into contact with with, uh, some of the core team and with normal people uh, and I really I mean when I was was doing what I was doing on the forum um, you don't really know with whom you interact, right? Maybe all of the people asking those questions are like beginners who made some boot camp and in a year they know more than me, right? That this is the kind of imposter syndrome devil in my, in my head mm-hmm. but in, in an exaggerated way. But when, when I was at the conference, I was, re- I was realizing that there were people who were, who were working in this job for years and years and who were working for great companies um, and I could have uh, conversations about programming with them um, eye-to-eye uh, on the same level, right? So this made it real to me in a way that I say, okay, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a keyboard jockey in a way where I sit at home and write some clever stuff. Um, I can actually, uh, hold myself or how is the expression? Um, you, hold you can my, hold your own, hold my own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that made it more real for me. Um, and also just recently the first, I just wrote, um, a, a small side project at work where we had some like education pro uh, projects going on where everyone who wants no matter his original job can just join and uh, play around with a new topic. We, um, and I wrote a front end for some blockchain experiment that we're doing just to get to know this uh, the, the technology and I'm using, I was using beautify for it, which is really an amazing front end framework if you're into material designs. Um, and I was really like realizing that all of these, this muscle memory that I built through all of these answers on the forum, where I wrote the same style or amount of code over and over and over, really paid off. And I really, really was just writing down all of the application in, in a couple of weekends. Um, and I achieved much more than I initially thought was possible in these few couple of weeks. And I think this was also just recently a big, a big factor to to say, okay, now I have really, I left the, the half finished side project phase and actually done something. Right. Yeah. That's great. So
1: would you, do you have recommendations to people who might be in a similar situation to you where, you know, they, they're worried. Maybe they, you know, don't know very much you know they're they're helping some people out online they're you know they're trying to contribute to a community but you know they don't work as a programmer in their day job and maybe they're thinking about working as a programmer someday but would you would you say like go to a conference uh would you have any other advice for them
2: well going to a conference is certainly never a bad idea but i wouldn't um uh because mainly because i uh think uh, usually uh, it's just a very big motivator to experience how friendly these communities usually are, how supportive they are, um, how many contacts you can build where you have people that you can just ask a question on a personal level next time that you, that you are, meet, meet them again online. Um, but as far as learning or growing goes, um, I think um, my experience would be, I, I, I in 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 sense I would say um, I, I've wasted a lot of time before in the years before. Like I started this pot hole thing with you, with reading a lot of tutorials and half following the tutorials. On you know, but then I stopped and just finished reading and think I understand that, but you don't really do you. You just the main, the two main important things that help you learn in my personal experience are. Trying to sp- solve other people's problems, just like I explained before, because you mm. you, you uh, approach the problem in a totally different way okay. um, than if you just, and then if you uh, try to solve your own problem, um, and really just build something, um, anything, um, because um, you miss too much if you s- just try to read acquire all the knowledge through reading.
1: Yeah, I've often felt like, you know, being an educator and a consultant is sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> you know, the experience of doing those jobs helps you become the expert, like helps you become more of an expert uh, so yeah. that
2: you can you can do that job even better than when and, you started. And, and I also want to stress, I, I read a ton and I still read a ton of, of, of stuff. Um, it's definitely a recommendation to read a ton, but... Um, my experience was that i often had the feeling that i have to read this and then i read this and then i have to read this and then maybe I have a level where i can start to actually do something so you're at that point always shifts away from you in the future into the future
1: so your recommendation is to like read and then just build something build something small
2: yeah okay anything and i think what you learned and, and i think we're right now Beginners are in this wonderful situation where you have like JSFiddle, CodePen as the basics, where you have this incredible Code Sandbox uh, that uh, Flip uh, Eve, Eve has been building, which is an incredible tool. Um, I mean, you have you can have a whole build system in your browser with with a Code Sandbox IO, where you can you don't even have to install the CLI to write a whole view project. You can do it right in your browser. So there's really no nothing holding you back from just playing around with it yeah
1: changing topics slightly like i i feel like you're a big part of what makes the view community like quite friendly and approachable like you're always willing to like answer people's questions and hear them out and ask follow-up questions to help them clarify rather than just saying like i don't have enough information go away <laughs> i tend you know, this,
2: this to issues sometimes because i just uh when i have a bad day i don't get unfriendly but i tend to uh i find myself but you more still or, are german uh, I'm yeah just kidding. <laughs> but um no i, I, still, I just find myself closing issues more rigidly in recent times because I just feel like we have this process of requesting a reproduci- re- reproducible repository or something. Yeah, I mean, when people reasons, just right? don't
1: follow the instructions, yeah, that's, that's one thing, yeah.
2: But in, on the forums, I always try to have an open ear, um, And I always try to... I, I'm, I'm, I often am in a situation where I'm internally, in my head, I'm deeply irritated how many people have problems to a- ask a question mm-hmm. where I, where I think it's probably a language barrier where people feel insecure writing English. Um, so yeah. they, so they um, fall back in writing as little as possible, which ends up working against them because they have just presented me a question that I have no idea what it should do with. It, right. So I have to, it's like pulling teeth, like asking, can you show me this? Can you explain what you mean with this? Um, but, I'm always sympathetic because, as I said, it's probably most often the language barrier where people don't feel it's secure to uh, secure uh, safe enough in their English to lay out the problem in a way that really describes it well. But it's just many people who are really, really experienced. After a while, they don't realize um, that it can be really complicated to know what to ask. You have, to understand, you, have to, you have to have a certain level of understanding to even be able to ask the right question. And I feel like people who have been a programmer for 10 years and know their shit, right? They, some of them tend to forget that, right? They, it's, it's obvious that you should ask like this because this is how it works. Yeah, but if you don't know how it works and you don't know how to, how, how to ask the question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is... Like this, that kind of perspective, and the the patience and the skill in helping people uh, ask the right questions is something that I wonder if you would have if you didn't already. Like if you if you had the traditional like computer science background, I wonder if like as a product manager, business. I see you shaking your head. It sounds like you disagree.
2: No, I, I agree with you. I, I was oh, shaking okay. my head because I was saying in my head, yeah, I wouldn't have this uh, same inside in a way because um, I feel like I still uh, the, the experience of looking, like, like I was explaining with React, right? When I was explaining just a couple of minutes ago how I was looking at React uh, looking at JSX and on, in one way it looked cool but in another way I just I, I realized I have to use this Babel tool and I have no idea what it actually is or how to try to explain what I think it is. Um, and this experience is still so fresh to me. Um, even though it made a huge progress since then that I can sympathize in a way that someone who has a formal background reaching back 10 years maybe doesn't have. It. I'm not saying they don't necessarily can have that,
1: but. So do you I think, think a, do you think in 10 years? You'll be, you know,
2: maybe general, you will not have that skill I anymore. like is telling people that their question is shit. I don't know. I, I I don't think so because generally I'm a
4: nice guy. Yeah,
1: but I mean, like I think a lot of people who do those things like are often nice people.
2: Yeah, online bring uh, online anonymity brings up the worst
1: people. But
2: not, yeah, but but also like you know having
1: having the skill and perspective and the patience. Like I think that that is something that. I think will stick with you because of, yeah. you know, maybe you know, teasing out product requirements and things
2: like that, you know, that you had to do, in, in your other roles, it was a humbling. I it was a humbling experience in a way to to dig through this, in, um, initial phase of totally feeling lost, right, without any guidance. So I, I can really sympathize where with uh, where beginners are compared, maybe to someone who learned a couple of programming languages in their, in their computer science university degree who approaches programming problems in a new language in a structured way because he has all of this um, uh, theoretical mindset that he learned, right? So I think I can synthesize better in a way, maybe. Okay, so I have I have one final question
1: along this line, and that's, you seem like you're sort of a shepherd for the view community. And I was wondering if you were writing like a, a guidebook on how to foster the kind of community that like, we all want to be a part of, what do you think the number one rule would be from what you've learned? Oh, that's. Oh, no. Or a rule. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be the number one. I know that's a lot of pressure
2: um always ask why would probably be uh, a very important rule um because um it's applicable in many situations right um it was important for my own learning um to always ask why does this work this way it was a question that i was asking um when I try to understand things to be able to explain them to people, it's important to understand why people open an issue, why, why people uh, think they have a problem that they're posting on the forum, um, why they're doing what they're doing in a way that might seem weird to someone who knows their, their stuff in, in view. Um, so, of course, I think a rule that everybody knows is um, always say why. You're doing something, I think that is probably...
1: <laughs> I, I like
2: that. I'll always ask why, that,
1: that makes a lot of sense to me. And it actually speaks to me in a lot of my docs work too. Like when people yeah. submit an issue, oftentimes they propose a solution. And yeah. often I don't like their solution. Hmm. But they've yeah. only given me their solution. They haven't really given me the problem. Yeah. And so I have to ask why. And whenever I ask why, there's yeah. always some problem underneath. Yeah. Like no one ever open, no one ever goes through the trouble of opening an issue when they didn't encounter any kind of problem. Yeah. And it's, it's, in a
2: way, it's, it's similar to 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 what I experienced on the forum. We often have people who say, who simply ask, "How can I do X?" And X is something weird. Um, and I often see people replying like, "Don't do this," or uh, or, or people try to simply find a way for the, for this person to do the what they are asking but it's often important to take a step back and try to understand why people want to do this apparently weird thing because quite often they only try to do this because they don't know any better and it's a it's the only way that they see to achieve their goal right
1: yeah like if someone asks like how do i implement an event bus in view you know, if you ask why, okay. you can see like, okay, I have, I have yeah. this, you know, these specific requirements. I like, I want to keep my state management simple, but I, I want there to be some kind of like centralized organizing force. Yeah. Right. yeah. And you know, there are better solutions than an event bus for that. But if you just answer their question instead of asking why, then uh, you won't yeah. really be answering their question.
2: Yeah. So this is a question that is both, both helping yourself and helping other people and it's just, um, if this is a rule that everybody's following in a community, I think it just uh, fosters a natural um, sense of curio- curiosity, right? It's, it's not so much about work. It's not about the what. It's not about how to. I have to do this. I have to achieve this. But it's much more about curiosity and finding out why is this working this way? Why is someone doing this way? Why is someone wanting to achieve this? Yeah, And I think that's just an, an environment that fosters a great community.
4: That's, that's fantastic.
1: All right, well, thank you. I, unfortunately, I, I think we're uh, running a little bit low on time. Oh, yeah. So we, we will have to wrap it up with some picks. And uh, Chuck, who, who uh, wasn't able to join us until uh, later on in the podcast, do you still have time to do some picks?
0: Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Sure. I do have some picks. So uh, I'm going to throw out a few things that I've been playing with lately. Uh, One of them is Visual Studio Code. And uh, a few people who have been listening to this podcast, uh, we have inserted, I think, two episodes from Microsoft Build about Visual Studio Code. So you should be uh, enjoying those. And, uh, yeah, I've just been using it lately um, for both JavaScript stuff and Ruby stuff, and it works terrific. I'm I'm really, really liking it. Um, I'm still tweaking some things as far as, like, some of the tasks in some of my projects go, but I have been super happy with it, so I'm just going to throw that in as a pick. And, yeah, I'm sorry I showed up a little bit late.
4: Oh, no no worries. We're glad to have you. Joe, do you have any picks? For my first pick, I want to pick the uh, Microsoft acquisition of GitHub. Not because I think it's a good (laughs) thing or a bad thing, but because I found it extremely entertaining. It made my Twitter stream so entertaining. And, uh, you know, I'm probably the kind of person that would, if aliens invaded and announced they're going to enslave the human race, I'd probably be out there telling everybody, relax, it's not that big of a deal. (laughs) Where I get to enjoy watching... People on both sides of an extremely polarized fence talking about how horrible or wonderful this this whole thing is. But So that's my first pick, is just the entertainment I've been getting off Twitter recently. Uh, second, I started listening to a new podcast that was, it was very cool. So there's a podcast called Full of Sith, which is a Star Wars podcast and they have a three-part series called How the Force Works which is not about actually the force but it's actually about the music that John Williams put together for Star Wars and it really centers around the music for the latest movie before Solo the Last Jedi apparently it's well received music so this it's like a three-part series just talking about the music and exploring the music of Star Wars I've been I started listening to it really enjoyed what i listened to so far and they actually mentioned another podcast which is Uh, about specifically about star Wars music called star Wars oxygen, which was actually run by a guy who was a composer and musician who talks about star Wars music. So I love star Wars and I love music. So I find those things that's this podcast, highly fascinating. And then finally um, I want to pick Google duplex. If you haven't watched the demo of the Google assistant calling and making uh restaurant reservations, and booking a haircut appointment, you're in for a wild ride, seeing something just completely mind-blowing. So, those are my picks. All right. Torsten, do you have any picks today?
2: Uh, Okay, one programming or web development-related pick would be um, Netlify, because I was using it for the project that I was talking about, Um, and I'm really was kind of initially I really was worried how to like get um, a continuous uh, integration for the front end part of my application rolling mm-hmm. uh, because I never really have gone that far in my side projects, uh, which I run locally and then once uploaded or whatever. And for this project, I really needed something that I can iterate over quickly and show other people to test or to, to play around with. And it's a really amazing service. Um, Full disclosure, I'm not in any way getting any money out of this or whatever. It's, it's just, uh, I really enjoyed this. It's really well thought out, really easy, really great features. Um, yeah. And totally unrelated to programming, um, I enjoyed the hell out of Deadpool too, And Ryan Reynolds is perfect <laughs> for this. This was so unbelievably hilarious. Um, I'll have to uh, check it out. That's crazy. If you like the first one, this one is even wilder. So, And I, and I do want to say our, our panelist
1: who isn't here today, Divya, uh, she just started a new job at Netlify. Ah, nice.
2: Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice choice of employer, right?
1: Yeah, and I, I really like them too. And their pro plans are free for open source, which is really cool. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then my picks for today, I have two. The first one is The Good Place, which is uh, the best comedy I've seen that's like come out in a while. I, I really, really enjoy the humor. I just rewatched, I just started rewatching it with, uh, with my wife uh, for the second time. And the jokes are, are still just as funny the second time around. I, I really, really like it. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's relatively family friendly. And, and although, no, I don't think I'd watch it with kids. I, I, yeah, I probably wouldn't watch it with kids, but maybe kids who are a little bit older. Yeah.
2: Well, Deadpool claims it's a family movie, but it's not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and let's see. My other pick was Sarah Dresner recently uh, tweeted out that she wanted a bunch of movie recommendations. And I, I, I gave her a few. And the one that stuck out to me the most as like, ah, I, I want to go back and watch that again, was the movie called Special which is about a guy who goes on a drug trial and starts developing these like superpowers that no one else can perceive and it's it's a just a really interesting really fun movie totally recommend it yeah it sort of uh sort of wacky but still fun i don't know wacky and fun those aren't the right adjectives but just go watch it it's a good movie okay and that's it so thank you, everyone, for joining us this week on Views on View, and we'll see you next week. Peace out.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.